beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? And what wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? What beauty can we find in our resistance? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith organizing coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe that white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. Oh, friends, it's been such a long time since I've been with you. I've missed you. The last time we were together was early November, right after the election. And I don't know about you, but that feels like 1100 years ago now. We've lived through so much in that time, in our own lives and collectively, It just seems like that's the times we're in, right? Just so much, all the time. Even just since the turn of the Gregorian calendar year, we've had more mass shootings than we've had days in 2023. We've had multiple cold-blooded murders by police and cops raiding shelters, including churches, for folks seeking sanctuary from severe weather or houselessness. The Federal House of Representatives is now being run by fascists who still claim the 2020 election was stolen. Our governments have pretty much given up on public health measures to protect against COVID, while death rates are still at over 2,000 a week, over 3,000 last week. While meanwhile, the wealthy quote-unquote world leaders at the Davos World Economic Forum had literally every kind of protective gear and practice you could possibly have. We've seen climate change-induced natural disasters like the deadly blizzard here in Buffalo at Christmas and the devastating flooding rains and mudslides in California. And last week, cops raided the camp outside Atlanta where forest defenders are trying to stop Cop City, a proposed training academy for police that would destroy over 318 acres of the Wilani Forest. Cops raided the camp and murdered Tortuguita, one of the forest defenders, and they're arresting folks and charging them with domestic terrorism. And there's all kinds of violent legislation being proposed around the country, and we aren't even to February yet. 
And like, I know this list could be even longer for each one of us, you know, like even shit from our own personal lives, broken relationships, dealing with the ridiculousness of health insurance, depression, anxiety, whatever else we're all holding. I mean, come on, come on. So let's just breathe together for a moment here and just send some love to however and wherever our bodies are holding all this. Maybe place your hand where you really need to feel some love and care. In a small group I was in in November about grief, the facilitator said, our bodies faithfully hold and honor our grief and feelings. Soothing touch honors our body's faithfulness. So let's just hold ourselves. Ourselves and collectively we can hold each other as we imagine each of us here in the time space of this podcast connected through our grieving, connected through our feeling, connected through our breath. The gospel reading for this week is from Matthew, the Beatitudes. Pretty no, pretty well known, right? <laughs> so it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus began to speak. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now I'm going to be really honest with you. When I first read this in prepping for this episode, <coughs> and then again the second time I read this, and the third, and the... you get it. <laughs> My response to reading the Beatitudes was an eye roll. In my head, in my body, I'm rattling off that litany, you know, of all the shit we're going through right now, like I just did, and I just thought... Ugh, these feel so meaningless. 
What does this even mean? How is this even helpful for everything we're going through right now? Being meek and pure in heart? Ugh. Even peacemakers feels pretty anemic. Plus, like, we're still waiting to be filled and comforted, Jesus. <coughs> and anyway, is it enough to know that we're blessed, whatever that means, while so many of us are suffering? It's nice our reward is great in heaven, but it would be even nicer that if that reward was right here, now, on earth, right now, how is this helpful, Jesus? How is this the first thing you teach your disciples? Don't you get what we're going through? Maybe this is how you experience the Beatitudes too. For me, I think part of what is happening is that this text is so familiar to me, so overused in a kind of, let's put quotes on it from a poster but not actually talk about what it means way, that it's hard for me to pay attention to it anymore. It's hard to crack under the hardened surface layers of a lifetime of our tradition's interpretation. <coughs> Which is another thing. I had to remind myself after my first grumpy outburst at Jesus that like so much of Jesus' teaching, the Beatitudes have been so sanitized and decontextualized, so overused to silence and disempower and excuse never really committing to the structural changes that would bring true justice, that it's a challenge to understand them differently. Reverend Sarah talked about this in the last episode, about how calls to unity are very often actually a means to silence dissent coming from oppressed folks. So here, you know, we've been taught being meek and pure in heart and being peacemakers is about keeping quiet and small and not rocking the boat. That poor in spirit being blessed means we don't need to work on ending what makes people poor because, you know, rewards in heaven and all that. The traditional reading of the Beatitudes could be summed up as be nice and don't complain about your suffering. Which, if that's true, then yeah, that's not actually very helpful for us if we want to change our conditions. That's not really contributing to an organizing strategy. And I'm left wondering about this Jesus and if he actually cares about us. Sometimes when I find myself banging up against these hardened surface layers of traditional biblical interpretation, I have to remind myself to take a breath and reorient myself to what I actually know, what I've studied and learned, and even what I can learn from my own resistance to the traditional reading. I have to ask myself, do I have to accept this traditional reading, or do I have tools for cracking through the surface? So in this case, first of all, I had to remind myself who Jesus actually was. And what we know is that Jesus was executed by the Roman Empire. And empires don't execute people who are nice and don't complain. There is a chip in that surface that maybe be nice and don't complain might not be what Jesus means here. Then second of all, I asked myself the question I am so often asking myself when I'm reading these stories, and I hope you do too now, 
who does this traditional interpretation benefit? And that took a nice whack at that surface because be nice and don't complain is super convenient for those in power creating the conditions of our suffering, don't you think? So those initial cracks in the surface were enough to make me want to go deeper, to grab more tools to keep knocking away at breaking that surface. So I turned to three trusty tools in my Breaking Things toolbox. (laughs) One is the Jewish Annotated New Testament. One is Warren Carter's essay on Matthew uh, in in the Shadow of Empire. And third is the Gospel in Salentaname, which are transcribed conversations about scripture by poor Nicaraguans suffering under the Somoza regime in the 1970s. So thanks to these tools, here's what I found under the surface. Yes, this is really the first time Jesus sits down with his people and shares some teaching wisdom with them. In the arc of Matthew's narrative, the Beatitudes come after Jesus' baptism and the temptations in the wilderness, Jesus learning his cousin John has been thrown in jail by Herod, and Jesus getting himself to safety in Galilee, where he promptly begins to organize by calling leaders. After some, some, after some time uh, healing people, Jesus starts to gain a big following. And so then he takes his organizers, a.k.a. his disciples, up the mountain for some reflection time, which is where we are today. So Jesus is, first of all, engaging in praxis. This is a term which comes to us from Paulo Freire in Brazil and from liberation theology in Latin America, which is about action and reflection and the clarity that both are necessary in the work of liberation. So Jesus and his crew have been acting, and now it's time to do some collective reflection about what they're doing and the context they're doing it in. And so the first thing Jesus does is get them grounded in their own tradition, sinking their roots into their ancestry, the wisdom of their ancestors who have faced all of this before. Because all these sayings, Jesus didn't make them up. For the longest time, I thought he did. (laughs) I confess that. I really thought he did. Um, But this is one of the reasons I love the Jewish Annotated New Testament, because it clearly shows how each one of these blesseds comes right out of Jewish scriptures, particularly the Psalms and Isaiah, either as almost directly a quotation or as a sort of thematic summary or sometimes a blend of both. (coughs) But what about be quiet and don't complain? What do we do with that? So let's start with meekness which is where I always trip up. In the original language, as well as the tradition Jesus is drawing from, (coughs) the word used here that's translated as meek actually means choosing not to take advantage of your position, which is to say choosing not to use your power against people, which is to say choosing not to oppress. It's helpful. And inherit the earth means the people will get their land back. It's not a sweeping generalization about how colonizing mission work will convert the whole world, but no, that the land that has been stolen from them by the wealthy and by Roman colonization, that land they're going to get back. Merciful is about loving like God loves, the steadfast love 
that refuses to let people go, that moves and transforms and holds accountable, yes, but never stops believing in us. Pure in heart is also about choice because in Hebrew, the heart is considered the center of thought and conviction, as the Jewish annotated New Testament says, which guides us in how we make choices about how to act, what to invest in, what we support or don't. The pure in heart make choices that lead to collective thriving. The Salantaname folks state clearly that to think like a rich person is to not have a pure heart. Even the peacemakers will listen to what um, Salantaname community members have to say, like Manuel. If I have a worker and I make him work for a wage that doesn't give him enough to eat, I'm not looking for peace. I'm looking for war. So being peacemakers isn't about not rocking the boat or trying to get that false sense of unity Reverend Sarah talked about last time, but again about choosing to invest in what gives life, like in Manuel's example, fair living wages. And the poor in spirit means both economically poor, yes, but also carries with it the understanding that living through this shit hurts and can crush our spirit. So it's poor in spirit because we're traumatized, including the trauma of being economically poor. Here below the shards of the surface, I begin to understand that the Beatitudes are not saying, be nice and don't complain. Warren Carter reminds us that, Quote, Matthew's gospel portrays the Roman imperial order as standing under divine condemnation. Matthew's Jesus outlines practices for an alternative society that his followers are to enact. Unquote. So all of these blesseds aren't just pretty sayings that look nice on a poster, but don't ask anything of us. Quite the opposite. The blesseds travel through time to remind Jesus and his people and us that we can still build the world, the kingdom of God, while Rome rages against us. That the kingdom of God isn't just some promise after death, but also is right here, right now, in these material lives we are living. The blesseds are orientations towards practice, towards action, towards what the ancestral wisdom teaches is how we hold on to our humanity, how we get through times of intense struggle. And there will be suffering. But, <clears throat> but by drawing on their ancestral wisdom, Jesus reminds his people that they're still there. Their ancestors' suffering was not the end of the story, just as the suffering of Jesus' people will not be the end of their story and neither will it be the end of ours. So let's go back to the beginning. Jesus and his crew have been healing people who are suffering, person after person, growing crowds of people. Their suffering in mental and physical health is evidence of Rome's utter lack of care for them. I imagine at some point Jesus realizes he and his crew need a minute a chance to reflect on what they've been experiencing, the suffering they've been witnessing. So they go up the mountain while the crowd waits down below. And Jesus begins to just talk to them. 
using the sacred text of their ancestors to illuminate what they've been doing and seeing and feeling. Maybe he gestures to the crowd below and, and to his friends as he begins to say things like, Blessed, blessed are the poor and crushed in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the community that's at hand right here, right now. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve, for they'll be comforted in community and by a divine one who cares so deeply about our suffering. Blessed are those who don't use their power for oppression, for they will get their land back. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be filled. Blessed are are the ones who love so strong they refuse to throw people away, for they'll receive that same love. Blessed are the ones who are clear about what makes for a thriving community, for they will see God in the faces of their neighbors. Blessed are the ones who invest in what makes for peace and not for war, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of shit against you falsely on my account. We know what happens when we refuse to be nice and we start raising our complaint. We know what happened to John. We know what could happen to us. Let's be real about that. And still, this is how you know your heart is pure and you're committed to what makes for a thriving community for everyone. So rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in this place. We are building together now and for the generations to come. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. So yeah, not so much be nice and don't complain, right? Gosh, I choked myself up a little there. That was surprising. The Beatitudes are words of comfort to a suffering people. They are a grounding in the survival strategies of our ancestors that lean us forward into the future. They are instructions for practices that build a thriving community. They are a refusal to be nice, to be quiet, to be small. They are a refusal to be silent, to not complain. They're good news. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are you. Amen. Your call to action 
In the spirit of praxis, first, I invite you to engage in the reflective practice of listening to Sweet Honey in the Rock singing the Beatitudes. There's a link in the transcript. Just let yourself sink into how they are holding these verses. Let it be a comfort to you. Second, I invite you into action to stop Cop City and demand justice for Tortuguita. Surge has created a Stop Cup Stop Cop City Information and Action Guide, which you can find in the transcript for this episode, in the episode description, and on our social media. There are calls you can make, graphics to share, links for making donations, background information, and more. And please share this document with your people. The attempt to create Cop City and destroy land to do it is troublesome enough, and charging forest defenders and others with domestic terrorism is an attempt to silence dissent that we should all be concerned about. And I think we know now what Jesus would think about that. Beloveds, thanks as always for joining us from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks, by filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at surge.org. And give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast. You can find out more about <coughs> about Surge at surge.org. And our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. And we'll be back next week with a resistance word from Nicola Torbett. And as always, a huge, huge thanks to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Blessed are you. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. <laughs>